You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. With us today is the Executive Director of Human Resources at GE, Bala Nagarajan. Bala is an employee experience leader whose main focus is on employee development and people analytics. He uses people analytics and design thinking to enhance employee experiences through intelligent, intuitive, and integrated HR systems. Bala has been with GE for over 10 years and was a global HRBP for its research and product management teams before his current role. Prior to GE, Bala worked with HSBC in India. During his career, he has had many roles in areas of compensation and benefits, talent acquisition, HR analytics, and HR business partnering. Bala, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be part of uh, the Catalyst and uh, to talk to you today. Likewise. So we met at a conference about a year ago, which was heavily focused on the importance of digital transformation within HR. And as I was explaining to you before we hit record, what I really appreciated was your ability to simplify complex ideas and really make them tangible and digestible. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. I hope I can uh, redo that here as well in this this podcast. Great. So I think things are improving, but I still find myself in conversations with people who believe that the employee experience is about flex time and snacks and gym memberships, and that the employee development piece of the puzzle is only about providing a clear promotion path. But there's so much more to it than that. So what does employee experience and development mean to you? Sure, Sam. So uh, I think um, within HR, we keep hearing these new terms that come up every few years. Um, Initially, it was employee satisfaction. And then um, the word that got a lot of attention was employee engagement. And more recently, uh, employee experience is is the buzzword. And, And I'm happy that we have started finally talking about employee experience because until now, we have been talking about just the effect, which is employee satisfaction or employee engagement. That's more of an outcome. And employee experience to me is the cost. Um, so I'm glad we have started to refocus on the cost so that the end outcomes of engagement or satisfaction or value that uh, these outcomes are going to give to the organization uh, can be uh, properly achieved. Uh, and like you rightly said, right, it, it has many different uh, dimensions to it. You, you experience um, um, many different moments uh, during your career, and it could come from many different sources. So at, at GE, uh, we look at uh, things like workspace. That's like the, uh, the first thing that comes to people's minds. Um, workspace is, uh, is definitely a part of employee experience. Uh, but we also consider the purpose, uh, which is very, very critical, uh, which brings in the intrinsic motivation of employees to be another key component. Um, we've classified development itself as a standalone um, um, factor or, uh, or a dimension of, of employee experience, uh, starting from um, learning programs to even challenging jobs or assignments. Um, again, promotion is more of a uh, 
effect rather than a cause. Um, also, the other dimension is culture and even the digital experiences that people give. Um, the one other interesting aspect that we uh, brought into employee experience is this concept of people leader or manager. Um, most often, many of these experiences, uh, you as an employee get it through the people leader. So we, we've considered people leader as also an important dimension of uh, the employee experience uh, that, that employees get. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's such a well-rounded look at, you know, from A to Z, what is important to employees. You touched on intrinsic motivators, which I think is so critical and something that is so often overlooked. How do you integrate the intrinsic motivators of the team members and align that with the vision of the company? Oh, that's, that's, that's a great question. So um, um, there are a couple of different ways to look at it, um, Sam. One is um, the broader vision of the company and the purpose of the company um, could be um, uh, not just um, growth and development and stakeholder returns, but the contribution of the organization uh, towards a much larger uh, objective. Uh, for, for GE, uh, one of the big um, purpose for us is solving some of the most um, difficult uh, or challenging problems uh, that the world uh, faces today in terms of uh, ensuring that people across the world uh, get access to, uh, to power, get access to uh, healthcare, um, or um, getting uh, moving the the whole world into more of a renewable energy ecosystem, uh, or moments can even be things like um, you know people wanting to travel more and connect more within the larger uh, um, larger within the globe, uh, which is achieved through our aviation organization. So the first thing is, uh, as an organization, how we are working on something beyond uh, stakeholder returns that will should be able um, to motivate employees uh, what can be a more larger vision uh, for for an employee rather than to be there uh, let's say from the healthcare business when the employee has um, um, has you know probably someone got permit uh, in the uh, in the family who needs uh, some healthcare support and you can see how as an organization uh, we support them uh, through the products that we have um, so it's it's about the larger vision of the organization and connecting it uh, to something much more personal to the employees. That's how um, you really connect with the intrinsic motivation. Um, outside this, definitely growth, uh, development um, uh, on a regular basis, and to some extent, the uh, monetary and the non-monetary benefits also play a large factor uh, in deciding the intrinsic motivation of employees. That's wonderful. And something I really am personally passionate about when I help organizations and people set goals that, I, you know, that will be achievable and really help put them on the path to knocking those goals out of the park. It starts with understanding why is it important to you? And so mm -hmm. just as you'd mentioned that intrinsic motivator, understanding beyond stakeholder return, what's in it for you? How do you align with this mission? of the company, of this vertical, of the project that we're taking on, I think must really have an impact on the success rate of the campaigns and projects that you put in motion. Absolutely, Sam. Absolutely. Yeah. So how can data and analytics be used to enhance the overall employee experience? Uh, 
Oh, that's that's a very interesting question. I mean, not not to be picky, but this word uh, word overall is being uh, um, is giving a very um, mistaken identity to employee experience as as far as measurement is is concerned, uh, Sam. And I'm sure you you frequently come across organizations that do uh, annual or biannual employee uh, surveys and use that as a way to measure the overall experience. Um, in in G, at least, we, we look at employee experience through the lens of moments. Um, so the overall experience um, may differ uh, from employee to employee and from uh, time frame to time frame, but there are certain critical moments. And if you are able to hold on to the employee and show the support and give them a good experience in those critical moments, then uh, the the engagement and if I can even use the word the loyalty of of employees to the organization uh, goes up big time. So uh, one of the ways we uh, use uh, data and analytics, um, and by data I'm talking about both quantitative and qualitative, is identifying what are these different moments and really looking at metrics around those specific moments rather than really trying to aggregate all experiences in overall uh, in an overall metric like an employee satisfaction score. Um, so uh, we start by identifying each moment and then we define uh, metrics around uh, those uh, specific uh, specific moments. So measurement is, is definitely a critical way uh, in which data and analytics um, have been uh, used to en enhance employee experience. But beyond just measurements, uh, we also use um, analytics, especially uh, things like predictive and prescriptive analytics uh, as a big em enabler for uh, employee experience as well. So some of the examples that uh, I can give you are um, making personalized recommendations to employees around what sort of uh, learning programs are available in the organization or what sort of uh, opportunities in terms of what are the next um, roles that an employee can do in the broader organization, or even who are the mentors in the organization uh, that an employee can uh, reach out and leverage uh, with, the, with the advent of uh, strong predictive analytics capabilities, we can use them uh, to really provide uh, personalized uh, recommendations um, and also make the systems much more intuitive. Um, in fact, one of the uh, one of the larger missions we had is uh, can we make uh, some of these um, um, developmental aspects of employees to be agnostic of a people leader? Because a lot of times, like I said, uh, employee experiences are based on uh, how the people leader delivers those experiences to you. So we are we are trying to explore if. Uh, if analytics can really make these experiences agnostic of, uh, of an individual. And have you found, I mean, this, this must have such a huge and profound impact on culture because when you're making the experience intuitive, when you're connecting them with people across the organization and with learning programs that perhaps they didn't know existed, it must help them feel like they are part of something bigger than them. Is, is that in itself difficult to measure? Oh, that's a that's a fantastic, fantastic question, uh, um, Sam. In fact, uh, um, getting from experience to culture is is definitely uh, 
an obvious uh, relationship, but measuring that and putting it at the level of causation that we would want uh, is, is a little difficult. I, I hope I could say, yes, we have got it, but not yet. We're definitely going in that direction, and we are definitely seeing um, strong change in behaviors. And, and to us, I'm sure you'll agree that a change in behavior is an indication of an eventual change in culture. Um, one example I could give is um, um, we, we believe a lot in uh, giving feedback uh, within the company uh, as a way of growth. And in order to ensure that people think about development uh, when they get feedback, we uh, use data and analytics to connect our uh, performance management or the feedback system uh, to our online learning system. And um, in, in a way that when, let's say, you give me a feedback, along with that, there would be learning opportunities that would be recommended to me that's related to that feedback. And when we were testing and piloting uh, those uh, systems, we found the usage of our online learning um, opportunities and systems went up by about uh, 300 uh, times. So that's that's huge. Wow. So uh, uh, three times, 300 percent. So um, that's that's huge. So um, we really saw a strong uh, and a positive change in behavior. And we expect this uh, over a period of time to translate into positive cultural outcomes. That's incredible. Going back to your previous point on how employee satisfaction surveys can be either misleading or just don't capture the full picture. I was recently reading a Harvard Business Review article and they were doing a study that said they, I think they surveyed was it over 600 companies and they were looking at the big data and the natural language that was used in Slack, that was used on Glassdoor reviews via email to really capture the employee experience. What are your thoughts on kind of going down to that granular of a level? Um, I'd say it is very interesting, um, but we should also be a little careful about uh, data privacy and it not being perceived as um, as creepy, uh, if I can, if I can use that word. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> what what I do agree is um, a single channel of listening uh, may not be the most effective. Uh, we should definitely look at other channels and extract, but we should be very conscious of um, where are we uh, um, listening. What are the listening mediums? and uh, be open and transparent about it with our employees. As long as we are clear about that, then uh, it is, uh, it is um, it's, what's the right word? It's ethical, okay, if I can use that word. Course, um, because yeah. if, uh, yeah, if we are going to look at uh, external, uh, let's say social media sites, and if you're going to extract out of it, uh, even at an aggregate level, you don't want your employees to feel that, um, the company is um, is watching uh, employees uh, in the social media, and it might, in some ways, uh, percolate back into the organization. So, data privacy and ethics is something that we have to be very, very cognizant of, especially when we are using uh, um, analytics. Really good point, and I, you know, for organizations who are regularly or even just starting to do these types of surveys or or employee listening and paying attention to really what it is, the feedback that the employees are giving. I think 
what is important to think of upfront is how are we going to address any negative feedback or areas for improvement? Because I've been the employee taking the survey and it being crickets and not knowing if my feedback was received or heard or is in motion. And I've also been in leadership position having received that feedback and the rest of the leadership team thinking, oh gosh, we haven't thought about how we're going to address this now that we have it in our hands. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Sam. And if you don't, uh, to your point, if, if we don't respond and make um, actions that, uh, that address the concerns raised, uh, then the, uh, the confidence in the employees to take the survey for the second time is, is going to go down significantly. Absolutely. And for those who might know Jay Bear, who's big in the marketing scene, he has, and the customer experience scene as well, he has a saying, uh, he may not be the first one to say it, but I've heard it from him, uh, no response is a response. And so when there is no feedback, when there is you know, no sign of life, when feedback has been given, um, it does send a very strong message that we've heard you and we were choosing not to address this, which doesn't do a whole lot for employee morale. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So when we last saw each other, you spoke about GE's major initiative to get HR to be more digital and analytical, and the fact that it's no longer a nice-to-have, but rather a must-have. So can you share why digital transformation in HR has become paramount for organizations looking to survive in the digital era? Absolutely, Sam. I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to see something that can, uh, that's very personal to me. So if I were to look at myself, the first time I saw a computer uh, was in my, in my dad's office. And I was like fascinated by this huge machine, big screen. Um, and I, I came back thinking my dad has got the coolest stuff uh, in his office. Um, <laughs> today, um, yeah, <laughs> today um, when my when my daughter and this actually happened, uh, my daughter was uh, uh, looking at my laptop and she wanted to check something, so she uh, was trying to uh, um, use her finger to move the screen, and it's not a touch screen, unfortunately. And she was like, Dad, your your monitor is not working or your screen is not working. She has much better yeah, she has much better access to technology today in home because of the iPhones and um stuff that she uses that the technology that all of us or most of us are using in our organizations um seems outdated, right? Uh, she has access to the most um um powerful uh, analytic solutions in the form of Amazon or Netflix. Um, and when you come back to uh, an organization and you look at, uh, or even within HR, if you're looking at the analytics that we're using, we're still doing mostly uh, descriptive and trying to slowly crawl into the uh, prescriptive uh, uh, or predictive spaces. So there is a um, big shift in terms of um, the, um, the workforce that is either coming or about to come um, into mainstream and as HR function, if we still have um, legacy technologies and legacy way of uh, of working, um, that there's going to be a huge mismatch, and uh, you don't want to be an organization um, that loses this this war for talent uh, 
because your technologies and the way you run your organization or the way you engage with your workforce uh, is, uh, is, is very legacy in nature. So I think, I think uh, that's, that's one of the big and the most compelling reasons uh, why HR should start really focusing on the digital transformation and be ahead of the game. Super valid point. Um, Do you feel that HR is the part of the organization that will start the conversation of digital transformation? But like, must it start in HR, or does it usually get to HR eventually? Um, honestly, Sam, I think HR starts the. I've seen HR starting the conversation in many places, but it usually starts um, from a business perspective. Um, I'm sure if I talk, if I ask the listeners, like how many of your uh, companies are trying to be more digital, I'm sure all of us will shake our heads vigorously and say, yeah, my, my organization wants to be a digital company, right? Um, so much so that people uh, try to even um, reorient their um, uh, industries from being uh, what they are to more of, oh, no, no, I'm not a, I don't sell furnitures, I have a, um, I'm a I'm a tech company that also happens to sell furniture. So like that's that's how companies are transforming, and most of that is because of strong HR business partners who uh, get the organizations to think more digitally. But all of that is happening on the business side. Right. We haven't done the same for our own function, and we have we still have a much um, um, longer way to go in terms of digitizing our own function. It sparks a burning question for me, which I see, you know, there's a debate that I think has been ongoing for several years now. What are your thoughts on customer-centric organizations versus employee-centric organizations? Hmm. <laughs> because especially when it comes to digital transformation, and, and I, I saw this in a company that I was working with as well, we prioritized the um, the customer experience and, you know, the digital experience for our customers because the mentality was, well, without customers, we're not in business. And then there was an internal debate of, you know, absolutely valid point. We need customers. We need revenue. But once the customers are through the door, if we don't have a solid employee experience, if our employees aren't happy, if they don't have, like you said, the access to up-to-date technology, if they're incapable of executing on their daily tasks, efficiently or properly, then the customer experience ends up being damaged anyway. And so I see some of this back and forth. I'll see the employee experience professionals really advocating for employee centric. And then I see a lot of the customer success professionals saying, well, no, 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 we need to put the customers first. <laughs> it's very interesting. And I like the way you actually explained it. I, I really don't see uh, them as uh, opposite ends of a continuum, uh, Sam. I see them more as um, uh, as on the same side of the continuum, well, exactly for the reason that you, that you just said. Uh, if you start, um, let me put it this way, if you start treating your employees like you will treat your customers, um, then you have a big win because uh, um, you want your, Getting you cannot be customer centric without being employee centric. Mm -hmm. So I would almost look at both of them um, in the same side, which is a positive side. And uh, I'm also seeing that uh, that thought process of looking at employees as your customers 
um, starting to get a lot of um, attention and companies are actually learning a lot from the marketing organizations and even some of the tools uh, and uh, uh, approaches that the marketing teams are using like design thinking, um, like um, making things more personalized or products more personalized. Uh, I'm seeing those uh, slowly coming into the uh, HR function very, very strongly. So to me, um, I, I see both of them as the same thing to the extent that if employees can be treated as customers, that's, that's the place where the organization should be. I love that perspective. That makes a lot of sense. So what have been some of the biggest lessons in GE's transformation to a more digital HR ecosystem? Um, the first thing is, then when we go in and ask people, do we need to change? Do we need to be more digital? There is a resounding yes. And in many cases, the input actually comes from the employees or like the people leaders or managers and the other functions. Um, so you would naturally expect that um, the change is going to be easy, but change change is never easy, right? That you you think that how oh, people want to change, so let's go and change, but it's it's not that simple. So one of the biggest lessons is um, do not under, underestimate any change, uh, even if it seems uh, obvious, uh, because any change uh, means change in behaviors and change in systems, and that is always challenging. So that's, mm. that's one big lesson we are learning and we, we, we will continue to learn. Um, the, the second lesson I would say is, uh, is the need uh, for upskilling, right? Um, as, as we get more digital, um, it goes without saying that uh, every employee in the organization needs to be upskilled, not necessarily um, wanting every organ, every employee to be uh, writing codes, but able to think about how the digital transformation is changing their own uh, roles and how they do their roles and how it can really be a big enabler. So that digital mindset change is, is part of this uh, this upskilling. So that's that's the biggest uh, second biggest lesson. And the third one in my mind is um, ability to work with analytics and uh, um, especially predictive, prescriptive type of analytics is becoming a new capability in itself. Um, you want the decision makers to be much more open um, to not just listening to alternate perspectives from people in the room, but also a system that's going to throw uh, something that you disagree with. So the ability to work with uh, analytics is also um, something that we ha we should not underestimate and uh, um, there has to be focused interventions to drive that behavior change as well. So these are pretty meaty. I mean, when you think about behavior changes and system changes and really leveling up, upskilling and integrating analytics in a way that perhaps have not yet been thought of or used, I can imagine that there is some pushback, even if the changes are positive and we see the light at the end of the tunnel, like you said, change is hard. And so how have you dealt with some of the resistance along the way? 
I'll give you an example there, Sam. So when we were uh, uh, we were trying to uh, develop prediction models for uh, um, looking at succession planning for leadership roles, uh, or even you know um, predicting attrition uh, of employees, the first reaction is I know my employees better, or I know my talent better, and I don't trust the system. Or the the natural inclination is to show that it doesn't work, that the system doesn't work. Um, and that is a big advantage. So we actually we actually taken that as a very positive thing and we've said, okay, yeah, the system doesn't work. Uh, can you help us uh, to make it better in terms mm. of getting feedback uh, and adding new factors? Um, in one extreme case, we said, yeah, it doesn't work. So tell me what, what you think. And uh, uh, we said over a period of time, we will see if the system is able to give a better prediction than... Uh, what as a manager you are able to predict and uh, if it if it does it's going to be good and helpful for you if it doesn't then we are going to take your feedback as one of the factors uh, in making the system more intelligent so how do you work with people um, and take those resistances uh, turn it around and use it for uh, um, getting our systems to be more intelligent is uh, is the way that has really worked for us and then once you start kindling the interest of people, um, then you have a big win. Then you have them as part of your team, uh, not just as your customers. And uh, once they are part of your team, uh, you know you you have a very very uh, positive way forward. So that's that's one of the ways that that we have tried to overcome this challenge. That's really helpful, and it kind of goes back to this idea of transparency. And especially when we're dealing mm -hmm. with change, it's super important to have a constant feedback loop in giving people the ability to not only share their experiences, their fears, what they're looking forward to, their suggestions, but how are those being implemented? How are those being you know, made into part of the plan or not and why? But keeping that door open so that people feel comfortable sharing and know that they've either played an important part in whether it's a new feature, a new offer, or how their feedback has been able to kind of challenge us and saying, yeah, we took this into account and here's why we're not moving forward with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. And that confidence or courage to stop stuff um, also helps a lot in buying when you're going to them the next time. Right. In 2018, GE ranked among Fortune 500 as the 18th largest firm in the US by gross revenue. And I've, I don't even know the recent count um, for employees, I imagine your team is very, very large globally as well. And I imagine as well that implementing change in such an organization is no easy feat. So how would, does one go about initiating the conversation of a company-wide transformation? Very, very good. Very, very good question. We, we, uh, we are about um, a little over 200,000 employees and about 90 companies. Wow. So large organization uh, but, but I have to compliment that uh, the change is uh, essentially um, a part of our culture um, I mean gee as you know it 10 years or even like five years back um, just the portfolio of the company uh, the, the businesses and what we are is there's a constant change in the company so that definite positive uh, positive aspect now having having said that um, uh, if I look at um, 
what are some of the things that we, um, me and my team, we focus on is, one, we start with needs rather than wants. Um, in other words, um, we, we try to focus on the painkillers um, or providing painkillers than giving vitamin supplements. Mm -hmm. um, when you are addressing a pain point, um, there is much more receptivity, receptivity, there is much more interest and a keenness to at least listen. Um, when you are focusing on the vitamins, it's much more cooler and uh, uh, interesting, uh, but it doesn't move much forward because the need uh, to focus on it and work on it is is comparatively uh, lesser um, is, is, is how I have seen it. So you start with a painkiller. The, um, the other aspect that uh, is also very, very critical when you're looking at company-wide transformations is, is the business case, right? Uh, especially within the HR function, we often, uh, many, of, many of the suggestions or ideas fail because we are not able to uh, clearly articulate the, uh, uh, the business case or the financial and the cost savings that, that these changes are going to drive uh, or going to give. Uh, I've often um, seen business cases come to me that says, oh, you know what, this would uh, uh, increase retention and uh, uh, the, the cost of one employee leaving the company and so and so, so um, you would be able to uh, justify this from a perspective of retention. But in many cases, the causality of a change to the retention of the employees is almost uh, unachievable. So we have to be more clear about what is the business case and how the cost savings are going to be achieved. So that's something that we spend a lot of time on. And then leadership buy-in, right? Like um, mm -hmm. it's important that you have um, senior leadership of the organization um, interested and wanting to make a change. If you are not getting that kind of support um, from the leadership, then um, you know these, these conversations are, are probably not going to happen, legal on implementation. And when it comes to getting the buy-in from leadership, you know, we see the recurring theme here throughout this episode, knowing their intrinsic motivators. If we know what motivates them as individuals, and we bring a project, a campaign, an initiative, a, a large scale change to the table, when it comes to proposing it, I think it's in our best interest to understand what's going to move the needle for this person. What do they care most about and positioning it in a way that speaks to something in them that they inherently are passionate about. Absolutely. You, you totally nailed it there, yes. It's very, very important to understand uh, what is top of mind for the senior leader, especially given all that is going on. And also, like you said, most of the leaders are passionate about um, about a particular problem or a particular opportunity. And if you can, whatever you're wanting to change, if that plays right into that opportunity or challenge, then um, then you have a big uh, big possibility of uh, of a good outcome. Right. Beautiful. So switching gears real quick before we wrap up, as if implementing a digital transformation in HR at GE 
wasn't enough, you're also looking to make some personal changes. So what is the biggest change that you're making outside of work? Yeah, so uh, I want to be more fit. And I have to say this, I've, uh, it's, uh, it sounds easy for me because I've, I've done this like nine or 10 times. I've always okay. wanted to be fit, <laughs> but I've never. So I, I, I want to be more fit. Uh, I want to be uh, exercising more. I'm a big, big sweet tooth. Uh, and I'm sure in, in the conference and the lunch we had after that, you, you saw me <laughs> just into all the cakes and ice creams. Yeah, I'm a big sweet tooth. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to stay away and, uh, uh, eat more healthy. Uh, the problem for me is healthy food is not tasty. So, yeah, but the change <laughs> is to be more fit. I have a huge sweet tooth myself, so I can definitely sympathize. It's just so hard. I mean, broccoli does not taste like chocolate cake. Yeah, it does it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, why is getting fit important to you? Talking about intrinsic motivators, why is this something that truly matters? That's a, that's a good question. See, um, for the first time after, after trying seven to eight times, maybe since my college days, I think I have a much um, better purpose and the purpose is not me. Uh, all this while I've been wanting to make the change for myself. I've said like, hey, I'm going to college. I want to look more cool. So I want to be more fed to <laughs> stuff like that. And, and now um, it's... Um, more for my daughter than for me. So like, like, like you said, like the, the example that you gave, right? It's, it is true. I, I tell my daughter to eat broccoli and I, I try to tell her not to eat cakes, partly because <laughs> I want to eat that cake, but you know, <laughs> also because I want her to be healthy. And, and I think when I repeatedly start thinking about my daughter, I think it's, it's important for me to be fit. So I spend uh, more time of my life uh, with her and uh, I'm also more of a role model for her. So I think that is, uh, is the reason why I think um, it's important. And uh, I'm, I'm much more confident this time that uh, I, will, I will change. That's so great. And it's a great reminder as well that long lasting change, if you're going to stick to it, if it's going to be something that you can repeatedly want to get up and do, even on the days where you don't think you can, is for it to have meaning, is for it to really matter. And I think that by attaching that to your relationship and the example that you're setting for her is really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. So I'm sure there's listeners who would love to learn more about you and the progress of the initiative that you're leading at GE. What is the best way to get in touch with you? Um, I think LinkedIn is the best way. So um, you can just search for Balakartike and Nagarajan. It's uh, it's tough to spell it out, but once you get it, there's no other Balakartike and Nagarajan in this world. So it's pretty easy to reach out <laughs> to me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'll make sure to drop the link in the show notes for easy access. Thank you so much for being on the show, Bala. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing parts of your journey with us. It's been really inspiring. Thank you, Sam. Uh, very interesting questions and a great dialogue. A lot of things for me to also introspect and learn. So thanks for the opportunity. My pleasure. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. 
If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.